Okay, welcome to the latest United Pubcast. Now, again, there is no football this week, so we are doing our best to bring you something Man United related. And being an international break, we thought it was a good opportunity to get some of our listeners on at a pub and do an old-fashioned pubcast. Um, well, I say old-fashioned, I did one last week. But more importantly, since, what episode is this? 120-something, and I think episode 60-something was the last time I saw this gentleman in Larry Taylor with me. First time I've seen you since March, maybe? Yeah. How's things, mate? Yeah, things are good, mate. Um, I've got to say, I... I seeing you live I, I kind of wish I just stayed away um, you're getting uglier by the moment but you know that's okay look in all seriousness it is nice to be back at the pub and with some listeners as well and I think we're gonna it's gonna bring up some interesting debates so stay tuned to our listeners because I think you're gonna disagree with some things you're gonna want to wish you were here punching someone in the face but that's all right that's part of the pub isn't it Tom it's not just about the beers it's about the it's about the brawls well, I'm not getting kicked out of any pubs. Um, I'm not sure there's any security here at lunchtime, but um, if you do want to start something, I'm sure um, one of us will get involved. As you said, we do have um, a few listeners here, guys who have been on the podcast before. Josh from the Man United Supporters Club here in Sydney, and George has been on the podcast a few times, but also one of our listeners off Twitter, Mad Journeyman, um, a.k.a. Victor Lindelof. How's things, mate? Yeah, good, mate. Good uh, Good to be on and join you boys, and uh, been following you guys on the Twitter, so... It's good to get on and have a, have a chat about all the uh, United topics. Isn't it amazing, Larry? People actually listen to the podcast and it's not just us two talking to each other. Well, yeah, man. Well, we're exciting. But, I mean, like, I know like people have said, you know, Tom's a little bit boring, but I lift things up and we balance each other out, mate. Okay, well, we'll get on to something maybe a little bit more important than us. And Marcus Rashford has been awarded, or is to be awarded, an MBE over in England for his work during the COVID pandemic and sort of the work he's done for school children throughout um, the last couple of months. Might as well start with the Englishman on the podcast. Josh, just your, I think everyone will only have positive things to say about Marcus Rashford and what he's done, but just as an Englishman and someone who's grown up there and seen what maybe some kids do go through and what the school system is like and the work Rashford has done over the last couple of months. It's rem- honestly, it's remarkable uh, work and he fully deserves the MBA. Um, I don't know why it came as a bit of a shock I'd, like yesterday when we, the news broke, but... Um, yeah, just in terms of the work he actually does, the, the area he lives in is, is quite a deprived area of Manchester. Um, obviously, his work isn't just based around Manchester. It's all, you know, providing meal tickets and, you know, opportunities for, for children to, you know, have the right to eat throughout the UK. Um, really, really important work, especially in this COVID pandemic where a lot of people have been made redundant. A lot of people aren't having, you know, don't have that source of income really to support those families as much as they had done prior to you know march time it's really really important work he's doing um seeing firsthand i I worked in i used to work back home in in the area where he's from in withinshaw i worked at manchester airport in a hotel and um speaking to some of the staff there who who relied on what he's trying to provide it's it's really important source so fair play to him congratulations really really deserved it no, definitely. Where do you think in terms of, okay, this is a Man United podcast, we want the best what's on the pitch in terms of results, performances and everything. However, when you see something like this, there's nothing to do with football. It does give you a type of a pride, a, a sense of pride in regards to a player. It feels like one of your own doing something good. Like It feels like a family member doing something good. So your thoughts on if you can combine them, not, not combine the two, but in terms of the relationship between Marcus Rashford, the footballer and person in regards to the way we see them as fans? It's a lot different to what we've seen in the past with like the likes of Paul Pogba and uh, Jesse Lingard. You know, like what they were doing outside of football sort of had a negative effect 
you know, Jesse Lingard with his fashion label and Pogba just doing Pogba things. Rashford's actually contributing to his community, his people, the society that, you know, their struggles, what, they, what they're dealing with over there. So positive, positive, out, positive outcomes for, for everyone involved, including himself, and that can only make him a better man. He's still only young, isn't he? Like 20, 27? Yeah, 22. Well, speaking of young people, someone who's actually younger than Marcus Rashford, we've got George here on the podcast. Um, as someone maybe his age, I'm not going to criticise you as a person here, but what are you doing at your age compared to what Marcus Rashford is doing, etc.? <laughs> but, um. but just in terms of that, in terms of... I think everyone, whether you're a 12-year-old kid or whether you're a 60-year-old living in Manchester, I think everyone does take a little bit of inspiration from what he's doing. Yes, also, when you think of his age and for him to be awarded an MBE, I can't, off the top of my head, the only two young-ish people I can think of that have been awarded that maybe Sir Alistair Cook and Michael Vaughan OBE, and that's nothing to do with helping out little kids. That's just what they've done with um, cricket. But in terms of Rashford helping put meals on the table for so many school kids and their families who in this pandemic might not be able to sadly guarantee that it speaks volumes of how much he cares for his community well and i saw the um tweets from and again i know nothing about the politics over in england but you saw boris johnson was a huge hurdle in this um process a couple of months ago where marcus rashford had to sort of hurdle over him and to get this over the line and recently over the last couple of days boris johnson has put a tweet out congratulating marcus rashford which is kind of hypocritical as you go there but speaking of um, we just mentioned Paul Pogba there in terms of Marcus Rashford done so much positive work over the last couple of months. We look at Pogba and whether you say he's brought negativity upon the club or whatever, there is a negative cloud over Paul Pogba whenever we discuss him. And I forgot it was a thing when Paul Pogba went on international duty that he obviously mentioned Real Madrid at the first chance. We're obviously on international break, Real Madrid's first word that comes out of his mouth. So Larry, um, we're no... We're not shy to comment on Paul Pogba and his outings. So, um, your thoughts on his comments? Obviously, saying it, obviously it is a dream to play for Real Madrid. Now, a lot of the headlines stop there. I don't want to say this is a positive, but he has gone on further, which has been cut out a lot of the headlines to say, "I love Man United. I want to play here. I want to get back to the top with Man United, etc." But just in general, the eye-catching headlines. Your thoughts on his recent comments? Yeah, uh, journalists obviously aiming for some a little an element of sensationalism with the headlines. Um, I think we need to apply a little bit of context to this. In the context of a 6-1 loss, um, probably not the thing you want to hear as a Manchester United fan. I think his timing is questionable. I've seen people suggest or some commentary suggest that he's a little bit naive and I don't think he is. I think Pogba's very intelligent and I think he knows exactly what he's doing. The fact that you've mentioned the followed the comments that did follow the Real Madrid um, sentiments were he loves Manchester United, he wants to get get the club back to where they were and I think he's taken this opportunity that the area where I actually put the focus was on Ed Woodward. He's, he's highlighted he name dropped specifically the uh, deputy executive or whatever he calls himself these days um, in Mr Woodward and he's said like oh, we've heard nothing from the club in terms of a contract extension. This could be one of two things. This could be he is clearly manoeuvring and telling Real Madrid, come get me in 12 months' time, where he'll have, well, technically, as of six months' time, he, he'll be free to negotiate, but United will exercise that one-year option in their favour. It could also just be Pogba potentially saying, I, I'm happy to stay, give me the pay increase that I want and the terms that I want and I'll stay on. It could, and we've seen from the, this board that they are very reactionary. It could be that these comments will trigger to Woodward to say, OK, I actually need to call Mino Rayola, put a pizza in front of him and start negotiating some terms. I'd put some extra salami on that pizza 
because the numbers are going to be eye-watering. Um, the timing of the comments are strange. I'm, I'm not against Pogba on this one. Um, I think he's right to demand a new contract and see some some vision from United in terms of where they want to go in the next 12 months and beyond. Well, we say that, and look, look, everyone knows I'm a big fan of Paul Pogba. This is just part of the Paul Pogba circus that you get. You're going to have to pay the price. If you want the footballer, you're going to have to get this circus that comes with him. But just there in regards to, I'll come to you, in terms of... In terms of... The way with this report in the media is a come and get me plea from Real Madrid. Do you see that as that, or do you see what Larry said in terms of... It's almost maybe more directed to Ed Woodward to say, hey, I'm available for a new contract if you want. Yeah, I, I'm tending to agree with uh, Larry. Like, but with the comments from like the Real Madrid comments, are we surprised anymore? No. If he does it on any, every international break, these comments come out. The but thing then, to, so, sorry to interrupt you, right. but the thing that we also have to take into account here, we've got all of us, Josh has grown up in Manchester, all of us from Australia. Manchester United is the only club we think about. If you think of most Europeans growing up in Europe, the dream is always play for Real Madrid or play for Barcelona. We have to take that in a context here. It might not be a disrespect thing. We all knew with Cristiano Ronaldo, the dream was always to play for Real Madrid. That was always the end goal. But, but with, with Ronaldo, and I completely agree, Ronaldo, his performances were okay. Pogba, as much as I like him, his performances don't really demand that move to Real Madrid. If, if Ronaldo just left overnight, United fans would say, okay, well, he's performed great for us. It was always, always his dream. Let him go. Pogba's performed so, perform so inconsistently. And I, look, I love Paul Pogba, but he's performed so inconsistently. If he leaves tomorrow, it'll leave a sour taste in United fans' mouth. Pogba I, is inconsistent, and so this is the thing about this debate. It can kind of take us everywhere. But if we're looking purely at his performances, um, because you've touched on it, I need to address it. We're not playing him in his best position, in my opinion. He's been told to sit deep to accommodate Bruno Fernandes, who admittedly was fantastic when he came in, but you could say his form's really dropped off. I'd say as far back as after the first few games of post-lockdown, he hasn't been in good form. He's been scoring penalties. He's been getting the odd assist. His form hasn't been great. Pogba's been told to sit deep, and we all know his favourite position is on the left-hand side of a three-man midfield. He's not being able to push forward. Now, obviously, I don't put him in the same bracket as Cristiano Ronaldo. You've said that Ronaldo put in the performances, and I agree with that. But Ronaldo came into a system where he was told very clearly in a system where we were counter-attacking, I want you to stay forward so you can contribute to the goals. Sir Alex has spoken about this numerous times. The system was set up to accommodate his best player. I think everyone here would agree Pogba is our best player. Do we create a system that brings out the best of him? Best of him? I don't think we do. I think we've lost our, our identity since obviously Sir Alex retired. We had that identity when he was there and Ronaldo could fit into that system. 100% agree with you. But now with Pogba being our best player, what, what are we as a team? Where are we going as a team? Like every week, it's something different. You know, we we play the counter attack, and then the, then we try to press high. Then we have a lot of uh, possession of the ball, but do nothing with it. It's just these odd random games. And since Bruno's come in, where he's made us look a lot better, and we've got those wins. And post lockdown, we we were great. Well, the best team in England, were we? Yeah, no, no, there was a five or six week period. But I don't think we we don't have an identity anymore as a as a team. We know who we are as a club, one of the biggest clubs in the world, but as a team under Solskjaer, we need to that clear direction of where we're going and Pogba when, when was the last time Pogba played up like a bit further up the pitch? Well I'll do, I'll do Even bring Mourinho's playing him deep as well. I'll just bring it to George so, yeah, there like, in regards to the two comments there in terms of 
a lot of people disagree, but a lot of us off the top of our head will say Pogba's our best player, playing in his best position. We criticise so many other players. We criticise Juan Bissaka for not getting forward enough, but he's playing at right back, he's not a right wing back. We say Marcus Rashford should be performing better. Is he a striker? Is he a left winger? Same with Martial. Is Greenwood, are we getting the best out of him because he's not in his preferred position? He's a striker, we're playing him on right wing. They're all side points, but the main point with Pogba is he's not in his best position. Why we sort of? I understand some of us will say he's our best player, but why are we caving to Paul Pogba? Should shouldn't we be caving to Martial or Bruno Fernandes, etc.? Like in terms of your, what's your view on Paul Pogba's position in the team? Are you, is he playing out of position? Is he in position? Well, personally, I feel at the highest level, ta- you can have tactical fluidity. So whether it's Pogba that's Pogba that starts deep, I'm fine with that. But he doesn't exclu- exclusively have to be that deep line player throughout the whole game. He. He can swap. He can swap roles with Matic. He can pick his five moments per game to go forward and create something further up the pitch. I don't think playing out of position is the best excuse for him, because I feel as though he can still pick his moments to come have an impact on the game. Especially when we talk about teams that play a low block against us, that deep lying player isn't necessarily so impactful. Especially back in the Fergie days when our backline would be playing on the halfway the whole time. Now, I think it's different when we expect something from midfield. I think we, we look back at midfielders we had in the past and we looked at the impact they had on the game. But the impact, or the, the games they had an impact on, we will dominate, we will win 4 or 5 nil, just like that. Where now we're potentially losing games 4 or 5 nil, so, um, like against Tottenham. So it may be a little bit harder for midfielders to get involved. But just come to you lastly, Josh, in terms of just everything we've mentioned there in regards to, obviously you're going back to Manchester now in terms of the perception of Paul Pogba when you get back there in terms of, okay, as fantastic as he is, it's just a circus, just think, time to yeah. time to bite the bullet. There's always a circus around Paul Pogba. There's a, there's a massive witch hunt against him. And we all laugh when we see them grain soonest memes. And we like, where was Pogba with all this? And you, you alluded to a great example before when you said, you know, Rashford's doing all this good work and, you know, you've got Pogba and you've got Lingard. You know, link up with this fashion label, and um, that's a completely different story. I believe footballers have a life after football, and I think it's quite um, you show a good initiative to actually have a fashion label because football doesn't last forever. But going back to Pogba, um, this season and towards the back end of last season as well, Solskjaer played the same eleven for probably about ten games during lockdown. During lockdown, in a period where we're playing, we're playing three games a week, you can't do that. That doesn't win you titles. That doesn't obviously it got us to third place, but carrying back now to this season where we're playing catch up and games are going to probably come to the same extent it's not going to it's not going to win you anything you need to have a lot of squad depth you need to rest players you need to you know adapt your team to certain situations you discussed in your last podcast saying was this the best team that could have started against Tottenham and you said yeah it was a team we expected I disagree with you I would have started one matter personally no arguing from me but go on I I would have started one matter I would have you know Swap the bit of the midfield. I would have taken maybe Greenwood out for Mata, just in a sense that you know you're playing to Spurs' advantage, and you can't always start the same eleven. Although it may be good on paper, it's not going to win you games. You know, it's not going to win you. You can start the same eleven for eleven games, and you know you think on paper that should win you eleven games. It'd be lucky to win you seven, especially in the times we're living in at the moment, where we're playing games thick and fast. You need to have that squad depth. But do you feel as though that's because Ole doesn't trust his squad depth after the starting eleven? I think so, yeah. And I think Ole's, um I've said this many times on many, on many forums, Solskjaer, I don't want him out. I believe, I back him as a manager. He's brought us some fantastic results. I think third, realistically, was the best finish he could have given us last year with the squad we had. 
but he's tactically naive sometimes in games. He's very reactive. He's not proactive at times. And sometimes you need to show that initiative. We were talking before about Makeda, and you said, you know, we don't really rate Makeda as a player. Fair enough, like, look what's happened to him now. But in terms of that game as an example, Ferguson took risks in those games. He trusted what he had on the bench. He trusted the youth. He trusted the depth in the squad. Maybe Solskjaer doesn't do that, like, doesn't do that as he said. But going back to Pogba, in essence, in terms of his performances at United, yeah, maybe he's not been played in, 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 in the right position. But maybe three years ago, I wouldn't have a bad word said about Pogba. For me, Pogba was world-class. He still could be that world-class player. But it's two, three, four years now he's been at the club. How many times can you say, you know what? It's OK, he's world-class, he'll come good. How many times can you say that? Jens, let me, let me ask you this then, because I know we're dwelling on Pogba and I kind of want to get into the Solskjaer debate now. Um, Everything that we've spoken about here in, in the in the last ten minutes or so or fifteen minutes, I'm not a good 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 in terms of time. You you have spoken about the uncertainty. Is he played in his best position? We've had this debate since he's come to United. There's obviously some element of you know the, the dressing room seems to be quite unsettled. When you take all those things into account, you're Paul Pogba. You're one of the most valuable footballers on the planet. Um, your contract's nearly up. If you were him, remove your own romance from Manchester United would you stay or would you go I guess if the opportunity was at Real Madrid to link up with um, Tony Cruz and Luka Modric as a midfield three it's a, it's, a, it's an eye-watering prospect it's potentially Champions League winning midfield combination so it'd be hard to turn down yeah I, I, I agree with you and in, and in terms of that sense you look like you look at well, you look at quality players and I think like the biggest example is Latin Ibrahimovic right you look at him and he comes into a club that was coming off a, a back end of a really poor run of form under Van Hal. he comes into the squad yeah we don't finish in the top four but he does what's required of him all by written you know an injury to the back end of the season he scores 20 plus goals for us and he was probably one of our best players that year Pogba you know a world class player like Pogba should be able to adapt to situations maybe off the pitch as well as on the pitch, to sort of instil that confidence, that belief in the team and, you know, have that positive effect. And I don't think he has. I'm not saying I want him out of the club, but I'm saying there's, there goes a time where you can actually say, you know, is he world-class now? Maybe he was, but is he now? In well, you, you go back to sort of moments and when you can sort of say, when was he world-class? Can we ever say, like, pinpoint that game? I'll still go back to that 15 minutes against Manchester City, where we're 2-0 down. Yeah. Uh, and I think that sadly that'll be what obviously he's won the um, Europa League with United and the League Cup with United. But I think when he, his time will because he, his time will come to an end eventually, and maybe sooner than a lot of us do think. Maybe it will be the end of the season. It'll be that City game that people remember him. Well, will it, be, will remember. it be the end of the world though? The form he Would it be displayed. the end of the world for you, Larry? It wouldn't because like exactly. if, if, I, I was thinking about this the other day. If United recruited someone like Saul and you put him next to Van der Beek and you have Bruno Fernandez, that's a that's a midfield with an unbelievable work rate that compensates each other's strengths. You've, you'd have the technical ability and the work rate of Van der Beek. You'd have Saul, who's got unbelievable passing range, reads the game well, can protect the back four, and then you've got the and that, that would free up Bruno to just be creative. And like the so the prospect of that, if Pogba left, you'd actually think maybe as a midfield combination, maybe individually they're not as good as Pogba. But when you think of that combination, I dare say it makes United a better team. It just depends. Do one, do we trust this board to recruit that way? And secondly, does it actually on paper, as we've as Tom likes to say, the team sheet isn't played on paper. So does it come together the way we'd imagine? Of course, it'll be one that we see. But if I'm if I'm 
Pogba in this situation, I mean, taking the romanticism aside, I don't think there's much incentive for him to stay at United. There isn't, and that's what I'm trying to say to you. Two years ago, I think it would have been the end of the world, Pogba leaving. But now it's probably not. It's like it's really not a bad thing. Yeah, he's, he's a quality player, and I still think he can, you know, he can show that world class element. Maybe not for United, but for you know, for another team, he could move on to Real Madrid and be that missing link for them. Um, you know, quality team at the moment. He needs it's more not quality the, around yeah, him. It's not the end of That's the world. Well, you look at that, and look, Paul Pogba. I'm sure we'll be having this debate this time next week. I'm sure he'll say something else get about Real Madrid, and we'll be having this. And again, he's not going to be leaving in January, so we will dedicate many, many podcasts to um, Paul Pogba. But Larry, if you want to shell out another 150 million for Saul Niguez, because. Ed Woodward's not spending 120 million on Jaden Sancho, the most marketable English footballer in the world. So um, you got high hopes if you think we're getting Salma Gers. Look, I think it's possible, and maybe look, <laughs> it's not possible, Larry. It, no, it, no. And what I'm saying is, oh, look, I don't think he'll be 150 million. But I guess I want to ask you guys because obviously we haven't had a chance to chat in a group format around the transfer window. I can sort of, and I know this sounds nuts because we're a club with unbelievable resources, but. I can sort of, if United break the bank next season, I can understand being reserved in terms of the Sancho deal. Because the thing that, you know, this COVID pandemic is, a lot of these clubs, and we've discussed it on the podcast before, is we don't know what the impact will be in 12 months' time. I think that's where you'll really see, okay, what are our finances going to look like year on year? Because United are a public-listed company. Now, that means they, they really do have to be more conscious of how much they how much money they're allowing to go out of the club because that that determines how much their share price is worth when people want to purchase into the club etc now whether whatever you think of the glazers or not because none of us are financial experts i think it's very easy to discriminate against that so in saying that real madrid are being very open and their the messages they're leaking out to the press is they didn't actually spend all much this summer, but their intention is to go big next summer. They want Kylian Mbappe. They want Paul Pogba. Maybe United are approaching it with the same lens to say, maybe we'll have we'll be in a better position next season because we'll know what our finances will look like should the worst happen, crowds don't return, etc. Therefore, we can plan to say, okay, now we can put this much. Whereas I feel like there was, look, no doubt about it. If the pandemic didn't happen, Jaden Sancho is a Manchester United player right now. You say that, and look, we'll move on now. But we could very well, and I think. This would be maybe a fortunate um, circumstance. We could be looking through a Europa League lens in terms of our finances next year, and that, that's a, if we have a good season. We could be looking at finances with a Europa League sort of bungee on our. Can I ask you one show. question then? A quick one. Yeah. So, really quick question. <laughs> how how damaging do you think this transfer window has been? For Man United's credibility overall, because let's face it, social media probably about six years ago isn't as big as it is now and now we are the butt of all jokes about you know missed opportunities how damaging do you think that is in the long term for our credibility well, that, that's what I said, I said on the last podcast in terms of I thought the business the individual business we did this year Tellez Palestri Cavani even letting go of Sanchez bring Donny van der Beek in the individual business I thought was okay you could almost give it a 6, 7 out of 10 the way we went about our business in terms of the PR and the social media a 2 out of 10 would be generous Anyone? Four, four signings on deadline day tells you all you need to yeah. know. Why is our business getting done so late in the piece? You got, we've all grown up with Fergie. Do you ever recall us making signings on the last day? Not my favourite ever deadline day signing, Josh will know. Dimitar Berbatov. <laughs> was he, was he um, deadline? Oh, that was January. <laughs> Dimitar Berbatov. But that was, we knew we were getting Berbatov. It just took until. I just don't um, think deadline. we have that pulling power anymore. 
You don't think? But yeah. even that brings it back to Gary Neville's comments. Do you know on deadline day which clubs are well run and which ones aren't? Yeah. Oh, yeah. no, 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 100%. And a club, uh, the best club in the world might find themselves in a position where they are on deadline day. That, that just happens. You look at World well, European Champions and we'll bring Berbatov in on deadline day. Sometimes that will happen. But with United, it's not a shock that we've found ourselves in a position where we're looking after free transfers and teenagers from Uruguay on deadline day. That is, that is not United a shock. The best transfer window was 08, and we went on to win a double. Yeah. We, we knew we were getting Nani Anderson, Hargreaves, Tevez, and it was all done before yeah. we could, you know, panic on up to August the 31st. But that attraction to play for United, I think, is gone. Like, you mentioned about Real Madrid wanting to go big next season. And earlier you said as well how, or before the podcast started, I think we were talking about how European players talk about playing for Real Madrid, Barcelona. They don't mention United in that same context or in that same sentence even. Well, we in, in United, that's why we end up paying overs for everyone. In United's um, interviews, like Cavani, they, they're all mentioned. You can see Cavani's interview. I think everyone fell in love with him overnight, his interview. But as, again, like Larry's mentioned before, it's a very scripted first interview by a United player to say, I've always dreamt to play for the club. Maybe Cavani has. I've got my doubts. Look, and I do like Cavani. I think Cavani will... I've almost signed him a few times in FIFA. Kareem oh, that much. I've scored a few <laughs> goals in, in FIFA. 21. <laughs> but um, I think he's one player that will turn into maybe a bit of fan favorite because so many people have written him off. But um, again, we will move on. Um, hopefully you enjoyed that 45-minute rant on Paul Pogba. He was in isolation <laughs> from uh, Di Maria, obviously. <laughs> well, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I saw Cavani did mention Cavani, um, Herrera and Di Maria, and he mentioned Herrera being the one convincing him to go to Man United. But we will move on to... A topic obviously close to my heart. One matter, and I think there might be something in this. Um, obviously, maybe certain countries around the world can still buy in players. So, England, so United are still in a position where they can sell to the right buyer. Now, Duncan Castles has come out on his latest podcast and said that One Matter has an offer from an unknown Saudi Arabian league side. I assume in terms of a deal this size, the whole Saudi Arabian league would be behind it. And he would earn, I think it was Euro, say 15 million a Euro, 15 million Euro a year, and it's I've heard a rumour that it's going to be tax-free in Saudi Arabia. I'm not quite sure of the rules there. But it looks like... And his father is his agent. And his father believes that United would let him go um, without a transfer fee, just in terms of a good name. Whether Woodward would do that, who knows? We've, we've had that discussion before on the way he deals with players who have done, who have performed a good service for him. So that's obviously another hurdle across. But just in regards, I'll come to George. and In terms of one matter... Look, you don't have to convince me how good he is or in terms of his performance, what he adds to the squad, but just your opinion in terms of if an offer comes in for him and he's going to earn 15 million euro a year and he's going to play football, if you're in United's position, are you going to say, look, one matter, you've been great for us, we like you, this is a great opportunity, let's go? Or are you saying, hang on, one matter adds a lot to our squad, we're going to pitch you off and we're going to keep you? I'd leave it to the player's discretion himself. If one matter wants to stay, he's more than welcome to stay. We've seen so often how, how much he contributes to the squad. You only need to look as far back as the League Cup game against Brighton. He, he, he was our creative driving force. And it, even when he came on in the Europa League um, quarterfinal against Copenhagen, we our attack just clicked as soon as he came on. But then then again, if he does want to leave and pursue the opportunity, he's at the end of, the career, end of his career. He's won everything in the game except for a league title, which he might win if he goes over there. So... Yeah, I guess it's an opportunity for him if he, if he wants to take it, but should he want to stay at United, I'm more than happy to keep him. Thoughts if you're in the club's position in terms of... you could What would one matter demand? If he's, look, he's getting 15 million euro a year, I assume the transfer fee would be very minimal. But let's say one matter, a year left on his contract, you'd, you could get a couple of million for him. Or if you're in United's position, you're saying, no, we're going to hang on to How him. How old is he? 31, 32, probably 32, 32 a few 32, months younger 32. than me. Yeah. Let's so, do him. 
I don't know how I don't know how we we call these 31, 32 year olds past their yeah. past their prime. It doesn't make sense to me. Just because um, he's slow. Yeah, it's I know. Discrimination right. he's Hang slow. on, you said he's slow. Did you see him burst past that Brighton player the other week? Left oh. him for left him for dead. Got fouled, then set up the goal. I think was that's it you? Was it you a couple of me. couple of podcasts ago referring to that movie Goal about when he talks about how the ball moves <laughs> faster than the uh, than the player? I don't know. I, I personally don't think he's at the end of his career. He's He's the, like the, the, the only reason I would keep him marshal everything around in the in those creative areas. Well, no, no, not the only reason I'd keep him. Obviously, I'd keep him for a whole host of reasons. But you look at what's obviously sold Andreas Pereira now. All owned him out. He's not there anymore. Jesse Lingard's in and out. He's potentially going to be off as well. Time will tell. But in terms of one matter, he just offers something different. Whether he's not going to play, we just don't have a player like that. Even if he plays two games a season, for those two games a season, he's an option we don't have. But then you look at like you guys were talking about the Spurs game that we just got pumped. And a perfect game for, for someone like Juan Mata. Solskjaer is not going to tinker with that same 11 that he does every week in the league. So, so if you're Solskjaer, well, then... He is, then. That's the thing. But, but, I, don't, I don't trust Solskjaer to rotate his yeah, squad. Yeah, he's not going to rotate. Problem. So Juan Mata's going to have to look at it and go, well, am I, am I only yeah. going to play a handful of games this season? Or that, that, That's what I think where George said it. If it comes down to it, and I, by Juan Mata's father, his agent seems to believe this, if Juan Mata does want the move, it looks like United might just say, look, he's been great for us. And in his new contract... Because he was out of contract in the summer and he did sign a new contract. It wasn't an extension. And a lot of people do believe that this new contract does involve some type of future ambassadorial role. So I think United might, might want to do the right thing by him. And if he does want the move, we might see one matter um, leaving in a couple of weeks' time. be a huge mistake. Really, really huge. Yeah, a huge mistake. I think he's probably the best player on our bench besides um, maybe Van der Beek on the signing. In terms of what he brings to the team... I said this before with, with, with the Pogba situation, you can't be playing the same at every game, especially now in the current climate with the health issues as well and the games coming in thick and fast. You need to really rotate your squad and there's games where, you know, when we won the when, last time we won the league, we weren't playing the same 11 every game and we played the same 11 game after game after game and the, and the performances, not just the results, because, you know, we were still grinding out the wins at the end of last season, but, the, you know, you could see it was really taking yeah. a toll on the players. And it's going to take us on the place this year because they've not really had a pre-season break. You need someone of that quality to really add that creative depth to the squad and it'd be a huge mistake for us to leave. Well, I've written down in my notes I've got the One Matter Exit um, podcast all prepared and um, you're all welcome to join me at the pub. I, I could do the podcast by myself if you want. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> no, It'll be Tommy's yeah. right hand. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, we could find a nice little Spanish bar. There's one in Surrey Hills. On a, uh, Larry, looks like you've been drinking. What's in that drink? Everyone here is drinking a beer. Does that come with an umbrella? Yeah, it's a bourbon and coke, mate. Is that all right with you? Bourbon Diet coke. coke, sorry. I'm watching my weight. Watching your weight. Yeah. Okay. But we will obviously discuss One Matter. It, it is something I believe there is something in, but... Um, time will tell. I assume maybe there's a few weeks in an international transfer window to go. Okay, moving on. Now, a topic which is always going to be there, will always be there until the day he leaves, and I feel the day he leaves is inevitable. Um, I believe Solskjaer is preparing to be second, maybe not in person, but I think the club are preparing for future without Solskjaer, whether that be in the next six weeks or the next six months or the next year. Who knows? But I think Solskjaer, the writing's on the wall through that some maybe some of his fault 100% but obviously the higher abovs which we're going to talk about now now the main thing I want to discuss here we get in the whole soul shy debate and tactics boring for me everyone's got their own opinion it means nothing at the end of the day okay but in terms of the reports that have come out recently in terms of the Tottenham game and Bruno Fernandes being substituted and Bruno Fernandes having a go at everyone Bruno Fernandes was having a go at Maguire he's having a go at Solskjaer's tactics he was pissed off 
Now, I put myself in a manager's position. The game was over against Tottenham at halftime. Was it 3-1? 4-1? 4-1, yeah. It was 4-1 at halftime. Game was over. We're down to 10 men. You're not going to win that game. If you have Bruno Fernandes on that pitch in the second half, nightmare. Because Bruno Fernandes is the type, and this is not a criticism, the type of player he is, he's going to go try and win the game 5-4. He gives the ball away for fun. As great as he is, he he passes the ball to the opposition like his life depends on it. That's what he does. Now, you, you pay that price when he does put one in the top corner or he bangs a 90-minute penalty. But 4-1 down against 10 men against a very good Tottenham side, a nightmare in my opinion if you have Bruno on the field. So Solskjaer took him off. Bruno's rightly going to be annoyed with that, but I have no issue with the decision to take him off. Now, the way I see this... There's no coincidence we've seen in the last couple of days links to Pochettino. I'm sure that has come out from Woodward's camp in terms of preparing that type of deal for Pochettino. Now, I think the media and whether Woodward is allowing this through his own channels, I think he's very conveniently driving a wedge between Solskjaer and our favourite player. I think unanimously our favourite player is Bruno Fernandes, well-liked amongst the whole fan base, obviously performs very well, so he's got those performances to back it up. But now... He's dividing that wedge. So now a lot of people are going to take Bruno's side. So we're all going to turn on Solskjaer. We're going to believe Solskjaer is the problem. We all know the problem's above. But all this discussion is on Solskjaer not being able to control Bruno. Everyone's taking Bruno's side. Almost like with Pogba and um, Jose Mourinho during those last couple of months. Everyone took Pogba's side, turned on Mourinho. So by the time it came to sack Mourinho, all the fans were behind it. Get, get rid of Mourinho, get the new manager in. And I feel that is, we're starting to see the first signs of that now. Where people are going to turn on Solskjaer and say, well, if it's Bruno or Solskjaer, we're going to want Bruno to win out. Get rid of Solskjaer. And I just feel, if anyone wants to add in now, just your thoughts on that. Or am I, am I reading too much into it and think that the reports of Bruno being pissed off are correct and there's nothing sort of more sinister in it? I don't think Woodward would be wanting to drive a wedge. I don't. I doubt it's coming from his camp to drive a wedge between the best player and the manager. We also have to remember here, guys, the reason Solskjaer's in the job is, yes, he got great results when he first came in, but he is the perfect option for the Glazers. He's not Mourinho. He's not going to speak out against them in a public press conference. You've seen in his face, he's clearly annoyed at the transfer business we've just done. Oh, and then he's, But while he's doing his big breath of sigh, He's saying, oh, no, there's good people at this club. We're well run. I'm happy with the business. They're doing their best. Everything he has said has been, from a PR perspective, perfect from the Glazers' perspective. And it doesn't make him a Glazer puppet. I don't believe with that commentary because if I was the Manchester United manager, I'll I'll kiss the Glazers' ass every day to keep my job. I really would because it's one of those where it is such a prestigious job. Um, Marty, you touched on it before where you've said United don't have the attraction or to other players to say, you know, we don't have the pull of a Real Madrid, a Barcelona, a Bayern Munich. If you're a young English player, Manchester United is still the pinnacle. English, no, yes. Undoubtedly. European, I don't but for a lot of those top players, maybe Real Madrid or Barcelona is a knocking on the door. So if Manchester United comes in, they're going to say yes. And we will always be that big club. Undoubtedly. Liverpool went 20, what, nearly 30 years without winning a title. They're still one of the biggest clubs in the world. So that, from that perspective, United are fine. But Solskjaer does everything that the Glazers want. So he, the other factor in this, he would be so cheap compared to the other. Look at the top managers in English football. Pep Guardiola, Jose Mourinho. Jose Mourinho has been sacked by two top clubs. I guarantee he's still on a hell of a lot more money than Solskjaer is. From a Glazers' perspective, Glazernomics as we like to refer to it, he's perfect. They would want Solskjaer to do well. They get it all their way. They can do shit transfer business. He'll say it's okay. He'll say they're operating well. 
and things continue as normal. There is not a dream that they want a wedge between them. However, should the results continue to perform or go the way that they're going, he, look, this is going to be a real test of Solskjaer. This is definitely his biggest challenge. We saw those inconsistencies last season, but it was very clear the squad wasn't good enough. Now, the argument is, okay, yeah, we didn't get the transfer business, but like you say, Twitter's very loud. Vocal minority, it might be, but that minority's loud. And they're going to say, you've got Bruno Fernandes, you've got Paul Pogba, Martial, Rashford, Greenwood. You're not being able to get us into a top four position? That's the problem now. And if he doesn't turn this around, because this, like, it's a six-month loss. This is big. For him to turn that dressing room around, and the way us fans say, you know, it's a bad transfer window, I know, undoubtedly the players are discussing You see, it. you say that, and I'll just kind of add here in terms of, we mentioned there in where I started in terms of do I believe Woodward is allowing this narrative to come out in terms of Bruno v Solskjaer something I'll add on to your mate in terms of Harry Maguire we mm. won't get into Victor Lindelof no, and no. Maguire debate here but another just sort of curveball I'll throw into the Bruno v Solskjaer debate is it's not only Solskjaer v Bruno now it's Solskjaer taking sides with public enemy number one at the moment which is Harry Maguire in terms of giving him his captaincy and in terms of like that so it's Solskjaer against against our fan favourite but also siding our most hated player at the moment. So, just your thoughts on just the whole situation regarding he's going to he's going to have to back his captain. He'll have to. Stand. But, but that, that's the right thing to do. Yeah, that's w- right. W- w- whether right. someone disagrees with that, even if Bruno was one hundred percent in the right, Solskjaer, even if he's wrong, has to back the manager. That's right, and it doesn't matter who the captain is. You, you as a captain of the club, you'd want your manager to back you, yeah. regardless of like you're you're pretty much the manager on the pitch. You got to you know they they answer to you. The boys around you answer to you. That's why you've got the armband on, but. You know, trying to the narrative they're trying to put out there by saying he's taking they they're playing it in a way where they're making it a problem for our players, so Maguire and Bruno. Where the normal thing would be for the manager to back his captain and then just everyone fall in line, follow suit. So I don't know. I don't know where it's going to go with that. I agree with you in principle, but when the results aren't there, it's very, that, that's the challenge here. And I think we have to talk about Harry Maguire. I said earlier this week that. 100% he should be our captain and I still stick by that he is the club captain Valencia was the club captain and he didn't play a lot of football in his final year Wayne Rooney was the club captain he didn't play a lot of football in his final year Harry Maguire's forms a serious concern and if I'm Solskjaer now he has to have he has to have the balls to make the call to say you know what if Axel's fit let's try Axel Bay. Let's try Axel Lindelof. He needs to start testing other combinations because, yes, he's your captain, but his performances are unacceptable, really. But in, and look, 100% agree, but in Solskjaer's position, when we're talking about potential being set, Pochettino's name is out there, can a manager like that really take a risk with throwing, whether the performance of Bay in um, Tuan Zabi, but we know that's not going to work. We know they're going to be injured. So is Solskjaer really going to take that risk of playing, or taking a risk in terms of, I understand dropping Maguire, I completely agree. But Solskjaer in a position where do you think Solskjaer really can? Do you back him to do that, or do you think he will be stubborn and? Do you know, what? I know you're not going to hear this, but I don't. I literally don't know the answer to your question. I don't know. Like, I don't know what you do in this situation. I wouldn't want to be Solskjaer as a thing personally. I think like yeah, Harry made huge mistakes in a Spurs game. Huge, probably unforgivable mistakes, really. If you if you're a pundit like Roy Keane, but I think the whole team was poor. But it's just because you, you, you highlight certain pin, but it's like the Spurs game earlier last towards back in the last season. I thought the whole the, like the whole build up leading up to their first goal, and obviously the Hay gets a brunt of it because he probably should have saved it. I thought the whole defensive show was poor in that. 
I, th- I think that's the thing. You, you, you look at yet. you look at such big and look, no hiding from the mistake Maguire did. It was it's all, almost unforgivable. There's four or five mistakes around him. Yeah. Like, okay, here's the one where people are looking at the ball and they see that mistake. But I think, it, look, unfair. Look, if you mean you're not a captain, you're going to be open for criticism. So I wouldn't say it's unfair. But I think, like we'll say with so many things when we discuss it, you do need to apply context as to why a mistake was made. Um, it's the overtop criticism um, we'll get into. But I'll just finish with George here in regards to the almost the three-way, Bruno v. Oli v. Maguire, in terms of how do you think it sort of plays out in terms of Maybe a bigger picture and Solskjaer lose new jobs. Do you think, think do you think his sacking is inevitable, or do you think there is a way he can work this scenario and it results in his job? Personally, I reckon under under the ownership of um, the Glazers and the governorship of Woodward, any manager sacking is inevitable because you cut. It, 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 once it's a head office problem, it doesn't matter who the manager is. It's well, we've seen this story before. It, we've seen it happen it, before. This is the first time. In, in, in terms of right, right here, right now, Ole's with the conundrum: do I do I die a slow death and persist with um, Maguire with either Bay or Lindelof? Or do or do I either give myself give myself another two or three years of job or, or leave right now if buy you two on ZV or two on ZV Lindelof doesn't work out? He's in that conundrum right now and it's interesting to see this test of character for him and what call he makes. Well we'll just come around, we'll just do a quick yes or no. We will not doing a preview for the Newcastle game, but we will do a preview in uh, later in the week. But just a yes or no, because my hunch will be yes, but we'll just go around quickly, yes or no. Do you think there is a not scenario, do you think yes or no he will? Um, Solskjaer play 3-5-2 against Newcastle first game back no you don't think he will no even with Tellez uh, I suppose no. Tellez travelling back from Brazil but uh, not yet but he will I'm going to say no but then the game afterwards PSG in the Champions League I think he will I agree with George no for the first game yes ok if we're going to put money on this I think he will for the um, Newcastle game but we'll four against one we'll take the vote of four that he won't but um we will get into that one later in the week. Me and Larry will discuss the preview against Newcastle. Now, along the same lines of that um, topic in regards to Solskjaer v Woodward, just want to, to finish the podcast in regards to the fans. We, we talked about the scale, the, the reach that Man United have on social media and how divided our fan base can be. I was thinking about it the other day, and so, someone mentioned the topic on Twitter in terms of they compared the name Manchester United against Manchester Divided. It's a bit of play on words, but it is so apt and so accurate when you look at it because we're divided on everything. We are divided on Solskjaer, is it Oli in, is it Oli out? We're divided on, is it Lindelof or Maguire? Are we divided on, is it Maguire or Bruno for captain? We're divided in, is it Martial on the left or Rashford up front? We're divided on every single thing. We're, the only thing we're united on is we don't want Ed Woodward in the position he's in and the Glazers. We're united on that, but we can't come to any agreement on how to deal with that. But all we're divided on, all, all, everything's frustr- in terms of everyone's frustration, is sort of focused on these little things that don't really matter in the grand scheme of things. Little things, should he play here, should he play there? That creates such a toxic environment, which does, believe it or not, it will trickle onto the pitch. This de- sort of debate regarding Harry Maguire will trickle onto it, onto the pitch. It will, he will have an impact. So it's focused on all these little things that have no real sort of weight. But the one thing we all do agree on, we can't agree on how to deal with it. Does anyone, Josh, anything to add? I think, yeah, like, you don't know how to deal with situations like that, but I think in terms of, like, where we are at the moment, it's very easy. You you mentioned, obviously, the Bruno altercation with Solskjaer. You mentioned, you know, the lack of signings that we wanted. We've not even seen these new signings play. We're literally probably a week... I've seen seen five minutes of pleasure on YouTube, and I I can see it's going a hat-trick. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) We're, we're, what, a week after transfer deadline day. We're we're in the international break. We've not seen our new signings play. We've lost two games, you know, at the start of the season. I think we we didn't win 
we only won one game in, in four in the 2008-9 season. We ended up winning the double. I'm not saying we're going to win the league and the double this year, but you know, we're not we're not given a chance, you know, to assess the new signings, to assess Solskjaer's capability of managing these new signings and integrating them into the team. It's so early doors. Yeah, inevitably, I do agree. I think we we are going in in the same cycle. I think if results don't, you know, pan out, it's going to be the same thing we saw with Mourinho, the same thing we saw with Van Gaal. Do you, do you think fans there, though, if we end up, which a lot of us do agree, that, OK, he'll we'll repeat the same cycle, Solskjaer will lose his job. We've always said under Van Gaal, OK, yeah, Van Gaal was a problem. We always sort of looked at the Glazen and Woodward and said, OK, Van Gaal needed to go. OK, Mourinho needed to go. Do you think everyone would just say, OK, Solskjaer needed to go, let's do this dance again? Or do you think this will be a tipping point where United fans say, hang on, we can't do this, do this anymore? The problem isn't the manager. Yeah, I don't. Th- uh, I think we've wanted to stop doing this for a while. Being, um, you know, coming from the glory days of uh, under Fergie, and then to go through this dry spell that we've gone through for so long. But then, what do we do, Tom? What do we do about the ownership? What can what can the guys over there, the fans well, that, over there? That, what that's what I'm saying. Do? I have no idea. There, there's come, no solution for it. Well, I'll come to George here. But that's what I was saying on the podcast um, the other day with Chris at the pub. Was saying. Again, it's the one thing every United fan is united about in terms of getting rid of the Glazers. But there's no... And there might be a right answer, but no-one knows the right answer. Yeah. We've got no way of going about it. In maybe terms the of, only answer is uh, one of the sheikhs from the UAE come over <laughs> that, and some that big, is, big money. Maybe, and, maybe one Matic can put that in his contract <laughs> in terms of going to Saudi Arabia. Maybe one Matic can buy the club. Maybe you yeah. buy the club in a couple of years. But I'm just going to Georgia, just in regards to every, what we've spoken about there. Well, see, the one thing we are united on is we don't want the Glazers, we don't want Woodward. But see, the thing is... When United generates the profits that they're generating, the Glazers aren't going to want to sell. And as for Woodward, he was the main broker in, in the Glazers but, buying the but, club. But I look at it from... Carson might go back to a uh, fan's point of view. Yeah. And in terms of a fan's position, we're so focused on Maguire, Lindelof, De Gea or Henderson. And little, little things, rightly so, you're going to talk about little sort of football aspects. Yeah. We look at them as such big problems. We've got Solskjaer v Pochettino where evidence has shown that's not a big problem because the manager, it doesn't matter. Yeah. We're so centred around these little problems and it divides opinion. The one thing we're all united against, we have no idea how to deal with yeah. it. Yeah, and, and, and I feel like the reason is because, yes, Woodwind Woodwin and the Glazer sorry, will not, be, will not be willing to sell. And the, and the only circumstance I can see them selling is if we stop generating the profits that we are. And how's that going to happen? It's either 10, 20 years where we just filter out into a mid-table Premier League team, but that, or, or the, dramatic, the very dramatic opinion, a relegation. That's the only thing that would cause them to sell immediately. Immediately, and I'd never want to see that happen. I'd hate to deal with that humiliation. You, you but... say that. Well, Josh is going back to England. There's something deep inside me which would love United to get relegated that, yeah. in the championship. If United get relegated, Josh, it's someone who no, will be going if, to if the game. If we did get relegated, I'd, I'd love to see us win an FA Cup or a Champions League. So we're playing in Europe and in the championship yeah. at the same time. So we play Real Madrid on Tuesday, Stoke on a Saturday. That would be something. The championship's the most underrated league, anyway. I can't always stand by that. It's class. I went, I've been to a few championship games with my best mate. He's a Burnley fan. Um, we've been to a few. Uh, you know, sort of really enjoyable away games. Nottingham Forest was was fantastic. But going back to what you just said before, I think we're all fortunate. We're all, we're all youngish men. You know, our only experience is seeing United win until the past what six years. That's the, the last six years has probably been the only time in, in our, seven years now. Yeah, Careful. seven years in our memory where United have been on average mediocre. So we, we don't know how to deal with it. We're not experienced. But, but, the, should, the but should we be able before. to? Like, you can say that, and we're all spoilt as fans. But as, okay, what we do have is that you look at social media, it is very much a young sort of demographic. But should United fans sort of, I don't know what the way to term it, but just grow up? Yeah. In terms of, not deal with it, obviously we do demand the best, but we should just 
not, not say, okay, time's come where we have to sort of accept maybe being sixth or seventh. But is there a responsibility amongst fans to sort of say, hang on, it's bad, but it's not Barry going into administration or not having a club anymore. It's not something that yeah, yeah. yeah, of course. Of course we should all, well, not, when I say we, I mean like United fans in, as a whole should all grow up in that sense. I'd much prefer if we didn't know anything about the backroom politics and just concentrated on I think that was football. something under Ferguson. It was never a discussion. No. And again, we were successful, so the but focus... Now, but do you feel like with Fergie that changed when the Glows took over? Yeah, when the Glows... Well, how was, much do we hear about other clubs and their backroom yeah. politics and what goes on in their boards and that? Well, that's the thing, like, because to what Josh said, we... This is the most successful club in England, and we've all grown up with success. Now, when you have the resources United have, this wasn't a fluke. We we got that because we yes we had an unbelievable manager, but he got all the resources available to him to be the best. And there's no excuse not to have that now. The club is still generating much more money. Like Liverpool, for all their successes over the last few years, United are still generating much more money than they are. One hundred percent. But there will come a time in a year, two years, three years where we can't use that argument anymore because other clubs will generate as much as United. And that's when the Glazers will be put in a position to potentially sell the club. Because the value of Manchester United is only so high because of that success. Now, the longer we go without winning a title, that is going to start to diminish at some point. It's the law of diminishing returns. If you're not performing at a level where, say, Liverpool or Tottenham potentially, or we're looking at Everton potentially being in a title race. The fact that... (laughs) Even Aston Villa, they've won all three games. That's the thing. If United keep having this, how do we make the top four as opposed to how do we be the best? Those clubs who are aspiring to be the best will overtake us. And the more that that happens, the value of the club will diminish. So, you know what? Power to the Glazers. Milk us now. But there will come a point where that money that they're so reliant upon, it's going to dry up. And once that happens and the value of the club drops off, I think that's where you'll see United be in a position to sell. They're not going to own the club forever. It's not going to happen. This club will get sold eventually. It's just a matter of when. So until then, like you say, Tom, there's not really much we can do. We'll keep voicing our opinions. We'll keep saying the things that we can say. Put whatever hashtag you want out there. I don't think that that does anything. It just shows the interactions, which Woodward loves to talk about in his quarterly uh, conference calls. But we need to keep holding the club as fans to that high account. If the owners don't, we as fans still need to be, you know, aspiring to be champions because that's what every fan should want. Well, look, I completely agree. However, I don't know how to approach the next four years. If you maybe look forward to the next four years and the Glazers' potential exit or if you're saying the next four years is going to be absolutely painful, I'm not sure. But um, thank you for leaving me with that um, vision. I don't know if it'll be positive or negative, but I completely agree, so it's a hard one. But does anyone have anything to add, any topics they want to get off their chest or anything before well, that, we wrap that, up? That's just, just to, to Larry's point, that is that is Glazonomics. They've owned the Tampa Bay Buccaneers now for 25... 15 years. 15, 15 years now. They've won one Super Bowl in that time that's and done absolutely nothing you, since when then. when they bought United then as well, 15 years. Yeah. Yeah. Done absolutely nothing since then, resting on their laurels on that past success. They're resting on their laurels from Fergie's past success, hoping that'll still generate the same same profit and interest but to Larry's point once once that diminishes and everyone else starts to challenge we we can't we can't do that anymore do, do you the, dif- the difference with our fan base is we are vocal we're, we're not like uh, are we vocal enough though you like we well it's it. not like it, the American fans for the Buccaneers that but, are doing but, but if you look at it, we discussed this off air in terms of and it's a different situation we're looking at a, a huge picture of United get rid of an ownership but we discussed Liverpool in terms of their match going fans the other year and again, it's not a huge issue, but they wanted to fight against ticket prices. And 15,000, 20,000 people left with 20 minutes to go in a game. Would United do that? Would, can you say United Absolutely fans? Absolutely not. Well, we've got Josh here, who's going to be going to games now when the, when the gates reopen. Can you see that happening? See what United... 20,000 people leaving Old Trafford early. No, not at all. 
but that's true so, so to the nature of the fans the, the, you know our fan base is, but, but, is should it, but should our fans care enough to sort of have that hurt and do that um there was talks oh, no, I'm, I'm definitely not going to criticise anyone no, for not doing it because I, I wouldn't. No, personally, yeah, in my opinion, no. no one I doing. think if, I, if you if you had a choice of going to a game, you don't, you don't want to leave early. Yeah. You don't want to think, you know what, well, I should have to leave early for a game for this, you, you know, yeah. because the Glazers are, you know, run the club so poorly. No. Yeah. I, oh, personally, I'd, I wouldn't leave the game early myself. Yeah, no, I'm definitely not going to criticise it because if I was over there, I definitely wouldn't leave. But in terms of forcing change and a visual change on terms of a match day, because that's when fans have their most powerful voice, I feel. Because the, the eyes, the eyes of the world are on that stadium. If we suddenly see an Old Trafford empty on the 70th minute mark, not a League Cup game where you see a few red seats, I'm talking an empty Old Trafford. That is, and I'm definitely not going to criticise anyone for not doing it because I wouldn't. But that is when I see change happening. It, I 100% agree with you. I think if you want to get the Glazers out, that is the best way to do it. When you do allow a full capacity stadium and the fans are choosing with their feet to leave the stadium, because you got to think that. They run by money, right? How is this going to financially hurt us? If it doesn't financially hurt us, it's not a problem. If the fans leave, and if you're a sponsor, you're thinking, hold on, the fans aren't engaged enough to sit here and look at our sponsor boards. What are we paying for? And then that naturally will lead to their share price dropping off because if sponsors lose faith, the sponsors pull out. It's a it's an endless cycle. But to Josh's point, and I, again, I would never criticise a United fan. Like I've I've gone, I've had the pleasure of watching United live twice now. We're coming all the way from Australia. It's a 24-hour flight to get over there. There is not a chance. We could be losing 8-1. We could be down 20-0. 8-1, I'm, I'm out. 8-1, <laughs> you're out? Yes. <laughs> all right, that, that's your choice. We're losing 20-0. I'm not leaving because you're not going to travel all that distance to go. But you know what? Because I just wonder with this pandemic, those, those fans who are attending, it's going to be a predominantly English fan base. I wonder if... Yeah. I wonder if that could make the difference because tourists won't leave but I wonder with the hardcore United fans and the English citizens more or less feeling Old Trafford could they potentially be more inclined to leave because the stadium's always there at the end of the day for us where we're not going every so often I just wonder if they got together maybe they could make that impact I think I think if you had full capacity stadium yes I think with the current regulations it's looking like you're probably you know the Old Trafford capacity is 75,000 you're probably going to Realistically, get maybe 20, 30,000. That's going to probably be through a ballot system. No one, you know, you, you, you've got to put probably an arm and a leg to try and get a ticket through the ballot. You're not going to leave early in that game, unfortunately. And that's just the situation we're in at the moment. Maybe if it was back to normal, it'd be more effective. But then again, you'd have the obstacle that the fan base probably wouldn't really be, you know, a hardcore Mancunian fan base. It'd be a more global fan base. Yeah. And I think that's, you know, you've you got the dilemma in both situations there. Well, like we said, with. Uh when we finish most topics it is something we can discuss further on which I'm sure we will and dedicate sort of full podcast to because for now as much as Larry's maybe look forward to the next four years and the Glazers leaving um, they are going to stick around so it is a topic for another day um, brings us to the end of this podcast um, making sure you are subscribed on your podcast app whether that be Google Spotify SoundCloud or iTunes and make sure you're following us on all the social media sites that are out there um, we do appreciate all the interactions um, you give us, whether they be comments, likes, retweets, shares, or just like the podcast, or if your podcast does allow a review or rating system, please do, because um, me and Larry do appreciate it. Um, it's good to do these podcasts, Larry, where we get proof that a few people do listen to the podcast and come down and have a chat with us. Yeah, thanks, guys. So when I'm looking at our insights and I see that there are three numbers there, three downloads, I'll know at least you three are tuning in, so I appreciate it. 
Now, I really do appreciate you boys for coming down and enjoying a beer. I am currently empty, so I need to go and get a refill. Um, cheers, good boys, and we will chat to you next week, or actually later this week on Thursday, um, to preview Steve Bruce and Ole Gunnar Solskjaer going at it for United v Newcastle. Cheers. Speak to you then. Thank you.